the telephone. What a great invention. We can talk to people all around the world on this telephone. And it's so inexpensive and it's so small. Remember when I was a teenager, I was in Europe for a couple months. I spent hundreds of dollars calling my girlfriend, Krista, back here in Washington, D.C. And phones used to be so big. They're so tiny now, especially those little flip phones. They're so small. I was uh, I was listening to a story that Matthew McConaughey, the actor, was sharing recently. He said when he was a kid, he was at home one night, whole family was there. His mom was in the kitchen, dad was in the kitchen, and mom was feeding his dad uh, dinner. And she just kept coming down on him, all these negative, negative, negative comments. And finally he said his dad stood up, flips the whole table, knocks all the food over. They got in a huge fight and the mom walked over. Remember, phones used to be big and heavy, not small like they are now. She grabbed the receiver off of the phone and she hit his dad right in the face and broke his nose. Blood went everywhere. Huge fight. And it all ended with his mom and dad making out on the kitchen floor. How would you like to have grown up in that family? Well, today we are talking about how to avoid negative self-talk. Just like McConaughey's mom kept pumping the negative comments. Negative comments stick with us. Here's what the studies show. They're like negative comments, like really sticky. They just get caught in our mind. It takes somewhere between five and ten good, solid compliments to get one negative thought to break off in our mind and for us to let it go. They are just so sticky. Job says something. Can you identify with this? Everything I say seems to condemn me. Do you feel that way sometimes? How do we avoid negative self-talk? Because negative self-talk is destructive. It keeps us from being free. It keeps us from living a full and abundant life, the life that Jesus Christ wants us to live. Now, here's what this entire series is about. Second Corinthians chapter 10. This is what we are trying to do, inspired by God's word. We are demolishing arguments and ideas. Yes, there are ideas that are from the Bible, from God, and there are ideas that are not. And we're trying to destroy the arguments that are not. They put us in bondage. We are demolishing arguments and ideas, every high and mighty philosophy that pits itself against the knowledge of the one true God. We are taking prisoners of every thought. Yes, prisoners of thought. You know what? Sometimes there are thoughts. They're not of God. They're not good. They're negative, And they're just freely roaming around in my mind and they need to come into captivity. I'm taking every thought, every emotion and subduing them into obedience to the anointed one. Well, everybody, I am thrilled to be here on this beautiful morning at the Dr. King Memorial. I am so thrilled to be here because I have so much deep respect for Dr. King on a lot of levels. I just want to share one of them with you, though, right now. And that is this, on a professional level, Dr. King was brilliant, just a master. It's something we communicators call microscripts. Now, what's a microscript? A microscript is this short, powerful, memorable statement that those who are listening to us can remember and it makes a positive impact on their life. I really struggle with it. I really struggle with coming up with microscripts. But Dr. King was a walking, talking, quoting, microscripting machine. And the walls behind me are filled with those memorable phrases 
that he said so often. So I am just in awe of Dr. King because he can do something that just flowed out of him naturally that I struggle with all the time. And his sermons and his speeches are so memorable because he was just so great at it. Now, Dr. King refused to give in to negative talk. Let me read you this. He says, I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. You better believe that there were a lot of voices saying to Dr. King, negative, 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 it'll never happen. It'll never happen. We'll never be free of this. And Dr. King says, you know what? I refuse to accept that. I refuse to accept that. Dr. King believed in something else. He famously said, there are no gradations in the image of God. There are no gradations in the image of God. Now, Dr. King didn't sit down one day and come up with the idea that every single person is created in the image of God. He didn't come up with that great idea, that powerful idea that has changed the world. The world had never heard of anything like that before. Dr. King didn't sit down one day and come up with that idea. But what he did is he brilliantly, memorably, amplified the great ideas from the Bible that have changed the world, that have made the world a better place. He amplified them in such a wonderful, wonderful way. Now, I want to take you back in time. I want you to travel with me to a site where the greatest speech of the 20th century in the United States of America was given. Let's go. I want you to imagine with me, it is August the 28th. 1963. We're here at the National Mall, the Lincoln Memorial. There are over 250,000 people here on a hot summer day. And Dr. King, at the age of 34, is about ready to give the most famous speech of the 20th century in the United States of America. The first part of the speech totally scripted, stayed up all night with his speech writers and his advisors writing it. But the second half of the speech, he went off script. His favorite gospel singer, Mahalia Jackson, halfway through the speech, called out, tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him about the dream. And his speech writer, Clarence Jones, sees Dr. King slide his notes on the podium to the side. And Clarence leans over to the person standing next to him and says, these people don't know it, but they're about ready to go to church. And then Dr. King gives a message, the great I have a dream speech filled with great grand biblical ideas from Amos and Isaiah and the book of Psalms. And he ends with Galatians chapter three. Now I'm gonna read it. And I know because when I read it, I hear his voice and I don't sound anything like him. But I want to still read it because it is absolutely amazing. This is how he ends the famous I have a dream speech. And when this happens and when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we'll be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last. Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. The reason Dr. King was so effective and powerful 
was that he took these amazing ideas straight out of the Bible, ideas that are proven and powerful to work. They are what works. And he took them and he amplified them with his own brilliance and creativity. And things changed. And that's how we make things change. Now, how are we going to avoid negative self-talk? How are we going to change those ideas that run loose in our minds? I want to use the word rut, R-U-T. How are we going to break the rut? How are we going to break free? The R stands for this. We have to recognize that negative self-talk is common, just like Job said. Seems like every word out of my mouth condemns me. We have to recognize that it's so common. It's all around us. It's in the water. It's in the atmosphere, so to speak. How many times have I walked up to a store recently and thought, oh my gosh, I fought, I, I forgot my mask again. I got to have a better plan to keep the mask with me. We have to have a better plan to deal with the negative self-talk. Everybody struggles with it. All of us do. You look at some people, oh, they don't think negative. Yeah, they do. It is so common. It's around us, just like Job said. We've got to come up with a better plan. And those negative thoughts are sticky. They get just like they work their way into our brains. You know, recently Krista said to me, you know what, John? I really want to hang Christmas lights and Christmas garland all around our front portico. I'm like, Krista, how am I going to do that? I don't want to nail into that. She said, get command hooks. I'm like, command hooks? They're not going to work. They'll never work outdoors. They're not sticky enough. She says, you should try them. I think they'll work. And I tried them. And you know what? Those things are really sticky. I just took them off yesterday. Man, as I'm taking them off, they didn't want, they didn't want to, I could have like hung my entire body weight on the command hooks. That's how powerful they are. That's like stickiness is unbelievable on the command hooks. That's negative thinking. Those thoughts, they stick in our brain. They work their way down and they, they just deep roots into our brains. We have to come up with a plan of breaking them off. We have to know that they're very, very common. And since they're so common, they deserve a very tried and true plan of breaking them off. Adam and Eve, when things went wrong, what do they do? They bit into the ideas of negative self-talk. That's when things went south. So the R is to recognize that negative self-talk is really common. What's the U? The U is to uncouple what you do from who you are. Uncouple what you do from who you are. People might say, hey, John, you're selfish. Hey, John, you're greedy. Hey, John, you're impatient. Okay, that's not who I am, but that is what I do. I don't want to ignore reality. And the reality is that we make a lot of bad decisions, but that is not who we are. That is what we do. Determinism. What is determinism? People today, particularly secular people, will say, you know what? We're nature. That's all human beings are is nature. And nature doesn't have free will. Everything about nature is determined. So we don't have a choice. But God says, be holy because I am holy. And what does that mean? It means that we have freedom to choose to do different things. That you can act out the image of God that is in you and God is holy. I can choose to be holy by acting like God. I am free to choose. Dr. King refused to accept that things are always going to be the way they are. The Bible is a polemic against determinism. Dr. King agreed with that polemic and he refused to accept things. People would say to me, I, you know, I, there's a point in my life I come to learn a lot of things about my family. 
And when I did, people came to me and said, you know what, John, this is the way it's always been in your family. This is the way, this is the way, particularly the men in your family have acted. And this is the way you're going to act. I had a decision to make. Well, okay. Is that just the way it is? Is it determined for me? Or will I choose to act in a different way? Will I choose to act out the image of God that is in me? That is who I truly am, but it's my decision to choose freedom. Will I choose who I truly am deep down inside and act that out? Now, the book of Exodus, when you're talking about getting set free, then we got to talk about the book of Exodus because it's all about how to get set free. What you find in the book of Exodus, so many famous scenes. You know, matter of fact, Dr. King, in the final sermon he ever gave, on April 3rd, 1968, in a church in Memphis, he talked about the book of Exodus. He talked about Pharaoh. He talked about slavery. He talked about Moses and going to the mountaintop and seeing the other side. The book of Exodus is so incredibly important. And the famous scene from Exodus chapter 3, the third chapter, God stops Moses. He says, Moses, I need you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? He asked God a question. Who should I say? And God says, tell him I am sent you. The famous name of God, I am. And Jesus uses that seven different times in the gospel of John. I am, I am, I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am. But that wasn't the first question that Moses asked God. The very first question that Moses asked God was this. Moses says, who am I? Exodus chapter three, verse number 11, Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Moses wanted to know who he was. You and I want to break free. We want to break free from anything, particularly negative self-talk, then we have to know who we are. Who is the true you? Not your opinion, not my opinion, not anybody else's opinion, God's opinion. God created you. Who are you? And that's where freedom from negative self-talk begins. Now, another famous scene in the Bible, Genesis chapter 12. It doesn't get much bigger than Genesis chapter 12 because more than half of the people on the planet call Abraham the father of their faith. Jews, Christians, Muslims, that's more than half of the people on the planet. And they affect the other half. And it all starts in Genesis chapter 12, verse number one. This is what it says. Now the Lord God said to Abraham, go for yourself for your own advantage, away from your country, from your relatives, and from your father's house to the land I will show you. Those can be some difficult verses to translate from Hebrew to English. The literal translation is that God says to Abraham, go for yourself. Go for yourself. In other words, you need to find the true you. You need to find the image of God in you, not what anybody else has told you, not what the devil has told you, not what your parents have told you, not what anybody else has told you, if it's out of sync with God. Who are you in the eyes of God? You've been created in the image of God. Now, this is the exact opposite from you do you. You do you, it's just you do whatever you want. This is not that. This is God created you in his image. There's no gradations in the image of God. You need to figure out who you are in the eyes of God because that is the true you. And it's different from what you do. What you do might not be who you are. But you can choose to believe in who you are in the eyes of God because you have been created in the image of God. So you have to find the true you. That's the great grand principle that we're talking about today. Who are you in the eyes of God. Now, 
There was a book written in the 1950s, famous book written by a group of sociologists called The Lonely Crowd. It says there's tradition-directed people, there's inner-directed people, and there's outer-directed people. Tradition-directed people are people that exist during a time when there's like a high death rate or uh, the economy is doing really bad or there's war, there's famine, there's problems, and people just stick in their lane. You look at tradition. Well, this is the way it's always been done. This is the way I'm going to do it. Second group is interdirected people. They really respect the past. They really respect their elders and their parents, but they're listening for an inner voice. And then there's outer directed people. That's after there's been a great time of expansion and things are kind of leveling off. The outer directed person listens to the culture around them. They don't really listen to their parents or tradition. They don't really listen to an inner voice. They just listen to the culture, like today, social media. And you know what marks that type of person? Anxiety. We cannot listen to the prevailing winds that are going around in culture, what's on the news or social media. We can't become completely stuck in the past. But by giving respect to tradition and listening for the inner voices, what's the Bible is about, Abraham Go to yourself. Go for yourself. Listen to what the inner voice of Almighty God, because he put the image in you. What is that saying? Don't you hear that? That's what the Bible is calling. Can you hear what God is saying about who you truly are? He put his image in you. Now, in Exodus 34, when it says these words about God, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and faithfulness. Why is it telling us this? Is God just giving us information about himself? Yes, but more. Because we're creating the image of God. So therefore, it's telling us about who we are. I am creating the image of God. I can be faithful and compassionate, and I can be abounding in love, but I have the freedom to make that choice. What will I be? That is determined by me. By me, not by nature. I can have, I have that freedom of choice. Have you ever rolled up on somebody and they're in their car and you see that car and they blast the music and they're just in there, man. And they're just bouncing away and they're dancing in there. And I often wonder when I roll up on somebody like that, I wonder what they're listening to. Whatever they're listening to is affecting everything about them. It's affecting the atmosphere around them. What you listen to, the ideas that you're allowing to roam freely in your mind is going to affect everything about you. The way you move, the way you walk, the way you talk, how you dance, everything is affected by what you are listening to. Eventually, what you are receiving and what you're listening to is going to play out in your life. The ideas that you regularly receive is what you'll eventually believe. Now, let's talk about Pharaoh from Exodus for a moment. If you think about Pharaoh in the 10 plagues, if you've never read this before, please read the opening chapters of Exodus. There are 10 plagues. God says, let my people go, and he won't let them go. And so there's a plague and a plague and a plague. And we're told in the first five plagues that Pharaoh hardened his heart. But in the last five, we're told that God hardened his heart. And when many people read that, including me, I say, well, that's not fair. God, you, like Pharaoh didn't have a choice. You hardened his heart. He didn't have a choice. God, that's not fair. God, you're not just. God, you're wrong. What are you doing? How do I just, how do I bring all that together? It doesn't make a bit of sense to me. Everybody, I just want to say something. I, I'm not going to go long into this. We will talk more about this later. 
right brain and left brain people. In the West, we're very much a left brain culture. Comes out of Greece. That left brain thinking. That's when writing went from left to right. It's systematic. It doesn't have a lot of empathy. It's about science. It's about facts. Right brain is about stories. It's about philosophy. It's about empathy. It's about feeling. So when we read about God hardening Pharaoh's heart after the fifth plague, we're like, but that's not fair. But the Bible was written in a right brain world. Hebrew is written right to left. It's a story. It's philosophy. It's feeling. You have to take that context because context is king, everybody. And so what you see and then what science confirms to us is this. If I do something and I think something long enough, then I'll just begin to react with that after a while. Like I won't even have a choice because I've done it so much. And Pharaoh kept rejecting, kept rejecting, kept rejecting. God. He kept rejecting what God was saying to him. And eventually when we reject God long enough, we'll just act upon that. It'll just become second nature. It had worked its way in his brain so much. That's what science tells us. If I am rejecting the truth of what God says to me about who I truly am, and I listen to what I do and what other people say and everything happening in the world around me in the atmosphere... I am going to be in bondage. And the book of Exodus is how I get set free by listening to what God says about me. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. You either use it or lose it. You either use that freedom of choice or you're going to lose it. Now the last point, T. Teach your brain to choose God's view of you. Teach it. Now, important moments, really important moments. Finally, after 400 years, the children of Israel are being set free from slavery. This is a magnificent moment. What would Moses say in this moment? Right before they leave Egypt and they go to freedom. You know what he talked about? Education. Over and over and over again. Educate the children. Educate the children. Educate your children. Over and over again. He says this, Exodus 13. You must explain to your children, I am celebrating what the Lord did for me when I left Egypt. The people of the Bible, the Jewish people that wrote the Bible had a passion for education. Their heroes were their teachers. Moses, they did not call him, though he was a great prophet. They didn't call him prophet. They didn't call him hero. They didn't call him king. Out of endearment, they said, Moses is our teacher because they believed and had a passion for education. The protectors of the Jewish people, they say, are our teachers. Just think about this for a second, everybody. The Jewish people, 2,000 years ago, constructed the first compulsory educational system for children paid for by public funds. That didn't happen in America, and it didn't happen in England until the 19th century, almost 2,000 years later. But that is the passion for education they have, and we must immerse ourselves. Sometimes we just don't think long and hard enough about who we truly are and educate. That's why the Bible encourages us to study to show yourself approved. That's why the longest chapter in the entire Bible, Psalm 119, is all about the importance of educating ourselves over and over and over again in God's Word. Do you want to be set free from negative self-talk? Then you've got to listen and receive something new that's straight out of God's Word. You've got to listen to the awesome ideas and you've got to understand it in their context. Do you want to truly make a dent in the negative self-talk? Do you want to set yourself 
free by the power of God, then immerse yourself in the great truths and the ideas of God's word. Listen to that on the radio. Let that pump into your car and into your ears constantly because what you receive, you will eventually believe. This is not a quick hit. This isn't something that's going to happen overnight. But what you receive, you'll eventually believe if you allow God's word to keep soaking in, soaking in, soaking in, and changing those ruts in your life changing that way of thinking, to rewiring your brain. Here's what Dr. King says about education. Rarely do we find men who willingly engage in hard, solid thinking. There is an almost universal quest for easy answers and half-baked solutions. Nothing pains some people more than having to think. What you receive, you will eventually believe. If you keep receiving the great ideas of God and His Word in their context... It will change and transform your life and set you free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to keep immersing ourselves in who we truly are as you present it to us in your word that we might be set free. In Christ's name, amen.